Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And And this this is is The Science of Motherhood. Typically, this is the spot on podcasts where people insert an ad, a paid ad. However, we're doing something a little bit different here at the Science of Motherhood. We have reached out to not-for-profit charity organizations and allowed them a space to discuss and inform you about the wonderful work they are doing for women and mothers in this world. If you are from a not-for-profit or charity organization that fit into this category and would love to be aired during our podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at hello at ifeelyourcup.com. With all that said, here are a few words from our collaborating organizations. Share the Dignity works directly with those living in crisis and experiencing period poverty. We believe that everybody deserves to be afforded the dignity that so many of us take for granted. You can support us in many ways, through donating to our Dignity Drive or our It's in the Bag campaign, getting involved with our virtual online fundraisers or donating directly. But most of all, we need your voice. We need you to let people know what period poverty is and how it impacts the lives of those in need. Visit our website, www.sharethedignity.org.au and learn more about period poverty and how you can support us to end period poverty here in Australia. In this episode, you will learn about Mika's preconception, pregnancy and birth story. From heavy metal cleansers to a pregnancy in the cold winter of Montreal, Canada, and even a medieval birthing stool? That's all to come in today's episode. So welcome everyone to our very first podcast. (laughs) Yeah! We're finally here. Um, We've got more cords on this table than... I don't even know what a little anecdote would be to that, but I'm not good with cords and we're here. We didn't manage to get two microphones. We only got one set up, (laughs) but, you know, technology is not our strong suit. What is our strong suit, though, is science, and that is the motivation behind this podcast. It... Um, for those of all those playing at home, we are scientists. Uh, Mika and I have a PhD in biochemistry. I kind of flexed my muscles a bit more in the immunology section of biochem area and Mika was focusing more on women's health. And together we are I guess a force to be reckoned with. No, just kidding. Um, so it's been a long time coming, this podcast, and 
it's probably a itch that we've needed to scratch for a while because we're quite avid podcast listeners, I would say. Um, but we wanted to hopefully bring you something a little bit different, something with a bit of a science edge. And that science edge is going to be looking at the world of motherhood, the world of pregnancy. And as you heard from the introduction, we are here to unravel the myths, debunk all of those probably Instagram memes that you see out there and you think, oh, my God, is that true? Where did that statistic come from? You know, was that something they found out in the 70s? So that's our aim. We are here to look at the research, to interview researchers who I guess are at the coalface of postpartum pregnancy motherhood research and let's look at the facts. What's actually going on out there? What are, what are we actually believing um, rather than just believe whatever we see on Instagram? So as a way of introduction, we thought it would be a great opportunity to introduce ourselves by going back to basics. Where did this all originate from? How did we become mothers? So today I'm going to interview Mika about her birth story. And again, for all those playing at home, she is about to put a second birth story (laughs) in the bank. How far, how long have you got? Uh, almost 35 weeks. Holy guacamole. So, (laughs) um, so maybe we can use this opportunity as like, you know, let's talk about your birth story and let's talk about what you would like different this time around. Did I, did I word that right? Not what would you change? What are you hoping for this time around that maybe you didn't think about the first time around or maybe you have a different insight into that birth process? So, yeah, let's deep dive into that. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Okay. So jumping straight in. Yeah. Okay. So how was your pregnancy? Let's go with that. I had generally a really great pregnancy. So I got, um, we knew we wanted to try and have kids, um, you know, so we did a lot of preconception planning, which was a really big thing for us. So we were working with medical practitioners to get us, both my partner and I, really, really healthy in terms of, you know, doing all blood tests and sort of seeing mm-hmm. on the, you know, nutrient level what was lacking and what was fine and basically repleting all those nutrients in terms of supplements and food just to get our stores up and get as healthy as possible, um, as well as doing a couple of really big, deep um heavy metal cleansers and things like that. Um, What's involved in that? So there's a supplement that helps to um, take heavy metal out of your body okay. because like um, toxins are stored in fat. And so when you're breastfeeding, you are, you know, typically women lose weight and 
all any stored toxins in your body will come out in your breast milk. Okay. Um, which is something I didn't know either. No, I had no um, idea. So that was a really big thing um, that my doctor was like, let's just do this. So I did two. So it was a really strict diet, like lots of coriander and all those herbs that are really cleansing for the liver. Um, and my partner did one round of that as well. So we got ourselves into pretty healthy shape. And this is when we were living over in Montreal and, um, yeah, we knew kids were coming. So we were pretty organized, which you'll get to know about me. Um, it's like training for a marathon though. It is. You don't just like strap your shoes on and like roll out to Times Square or wherever they start the New York City Marathon. (laughs) And go, yep, today I'm just going to run a marathon. Like, you guys were in we it planned. to win it, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. We knew the time was coming. And I think just like they say so many women these days, like we're so busy already and before we even get pregnant we are, you know, doing it all and sometimes often exhausted. Um so starting pregnancy on the back foot or an empty tank was not appealing to me. I wanted to be as healthy as possible. Um, so that was a really big chapter is doing, I think I did. And I was also working um, to get my hormones balanced as well um, through diet and lifestyle interventions. So it took about a year, I would say, of preconception planning, which was pretty intense, but it was very important to us. Um, and then luckily we were able to fall pregnant really, really quickly, um, which was great. Yeah, so the first trimester was really, really yucky with morning sickness. So not vomiting or anything like that, just all day nausea, yeah. like day in, day out, um, and not really being able to eat anything, um, which was hard. And this was through – so we're in Montreal then, and it was through winter, and, like, we were living in, like, a semi-basement apartment, and it was, like, minus 21 or lower, colder for like 10 days in a row. And I just remember not leaving the house and it was so cold and miserable and grey and I just felt very sorry for myself. I was so excited to be pregnant. You know, I'd waited a long time. I'd done, you know, 10 years of university study like you, worked, wanted to, you know, travel and, you know, establish my career. And so by the time I got around to having kids, I was really ready and then I was finally pregnant and I felt really sick and it was just not the experience. (laughs) I'd hoped for, especially in those first three months. And then we decided that we were going to move back home to Australia um, for the pregnancy. So we'd be home with our family and support networks, which was actually a really difficult decision. Um, I think it was the first time in my life where I had to make a decision. Well, because we we were starting a family, but based on what was best for my family rather than what was potentially my personal desires Mm -hmm. Um, and it was definitely the right decision to move home so we packed up and moved back to Australia um, just as I was 12 weeks um, and surprised our families that we were here which was lovely Um, anyway so literally at 12 weeks morning sickness went away and yeah I pretty much had a really stress-free pregnancy and I felt really well and had a lot more energy than I remember this time around um, you do have a toddler in tow now, though. I know, I know it's different. It's very different. <laughs> um, I was also a little bit younger. Yeah, that helps too. <laughs> um, so but you're smarter and wiser now. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully they balance each other yeah. out. <laughs> um, so I knew, so back over in Montreal, sorry to keep mentioning it, but it's really common over there to um, either have a home birth or give birth in a birthing centre. So that's where I first got exposed to that idea. Um, and most, you know, it's sort of the opposite to what you see in Australia is, you know, really, um, typically people just see an obstetrician over there, but you know, really, the really 
if you're paying a lot of money, then you get a private midwife, which is kind of the opposite to here. Most people pay for an obstetrician. Um, so I knew I wanted a midwife only program. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Um, I think it's just different. And that's, I think, yeah, it's just different culture. I think so too. And I always thought previously I would have wanted to go through, you know, um, an obstetrician and be private hospital and do everything like by the book. But when, you know, time came, I really wanted midwife only, low intervention. And we ended up getting into this great program, um, here in, Mel- in Melbourne, Victoria, um, with a public hospital and it was excellent. So I had the same midwife throughout my whole pregnancy. And I think the first question I asked, I was reading a lot of books. Mm-hmm. You'll get to know that about us too. I think we're both, yes. we research everything. Well, we're nerdos. <laughs> And um, it's a big deal, I think. And one of the first questions in my book is like, always ask your pregnancy provider, like, what's your rate of intervention for this, this and this? Mm-hmm. Um, and the program I was in, the, the rates were so much lower than the average, um, which was important to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I was in the group practice, midwife group practice, and, yeah, it was really smooth sailing. I'm just trying to recall. Do you if- think that that continuity of care – helped or hindered I don't think it, oh, I wouldn't say it hindered I, it definitely helped it was yeah. I think for me especially being in a public system you know if you go through the the main public hospital you just get a different obstetrician or midwife every appointment mm-hmm. and obviously they've got your file there but for for me I think it was having someone who it was very personable mm-hmm. and they really cared about you um, you had access to their phone number for texts or calls questions if you needed um, and there was that real yeah, genuine aspect of caring and wanting them. So when you go into labor, like that specific person then comes to the hospital. So gotcha. not just whoever's on shift, they come for you. So I felt very cared for and nurtured and trusted. And, um, yeah, so I definitely think it was a wonderful thing for me to have. Uh, I know other friends of mine have been like, I don't care. I'm just in and out for my appointments. Sure. Um, but no, I loved it. And it's been lovely going back to the same midwife this time around. And she knows our history, my history, um, the birth experience might be done differently this time. Yeah. Uh, and we just talk about my daughter for a long time. Um, so, yeah. Do you have – did you use that tech service? Because um, I don't know about you, but I – I mean, I went – you know this. I went, you know, the private OB kind of route and I – in the beginning – I called them quite a lot about specific food that mm-hmm. I could have. Um, and and in the beginning I was kind of like, oh, should I, shouldn't I? You know, like you get that kind of guilt mm-hmm. of I shouldn't be wasting these people's time. <laughs> but then my husband reminded me, he's like, um, just have a look at the bill that they've sent us. You should be calling them every day just to find out what the weather is in Melbourne and what time it is. Because, yeah, just remind yourself, look at the bill. Um, so I didn't feel stupid at all, actually, after that, after, um, you know, he, you know, quite politely reminded me. Um, I called up with probably some, like, crazy-ass questions for them. Like, I was like, can I eat smoked mussels out of a tin because I'm dying. Like I'm just, I need to eat them. And Yuck. they would, they were just like, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that'll be okay. Um, yeah, sure. We'll like, we'll double check, but we're pretty sure we've never had that one 
but we're pretty sure. Um, yeah, did you ever, like, text them? Like, did you really, like, lean on that extra support that they offered? No, not really. I, I don't – I think I would have if I needed it, but I don't think I really did um, throughout the pregnancy. We had quite regular appointments, um, and I was doing a lot of reading about what to eat and what not to eat, and that certainly was not a craving of mine at yeah, all. Yeah, Um But I knew it was there. So, to be honest, it was a very um, – I don't want to say relaxed, but it was a really, you know, because I had a low risk pregnancy and everything was looking really well. Um, it, it wasn't a hugely, um, I don't know. I just didn't need yeah. anything extra. Like I was surprised sometimes with the visits. You just go in, get measured, weighed. Um, yep. Baby's heartbeat, your blood pressure, everything's good. Have a bit of a chat and that's it. And then, you know, it was sort of, a, um, less monitoring than I think I expected. And, okay. um, but it was fine. So it was just, yeah, everything was looking good and it was just a really relaxed process to be honest, um, in a good way. Um, but no, I didn't use it as much as I probably could have. Um, okay. So those final weeks of your pregnancy, you're, you know, you're rolling into, you know, yes, here it comes. <laughs> here comes that birth that we have, you know, solidly prepared for. Did you do any birthing classes? Yes, I did. Um, I, we chose not to do the hospital-based one. Based Why is on, that? So one, our midwife recommended us not to do it. She said it was really basic. Okay. Um, and just for – I think in the program that I was going for and the birth experience that I wanted, and, again, I just – I think that's what's really great between our two stories and what you were saying, like the mm. route that you went is – that we're all individuals and we need to do what's right for us. And I, I think it's really wonderful that we're all unique. Otherwise, you know, I think it's amazing. So for, for me, I did calm birth classes and that was based on a few recommendations of other friends who'd done calm birth. And it was amazing. We did like a full day workshop in, um, I think it was actually in Kensington or Fitzroy. Yeah. Somewhere in Melbourne. I think it was Kensington. Um, and it was great. It was just, you know, talking about breathing and different postures and just, you know, the woman's body capabilities and what partners should be doing. And I remember my partner left just thinking, you know, he was like, I've got this in the bag. And I was like, okay, you don't actually have to do it. <laughs> he was so confident. And um, they really sold me on it being, you know, this not wonderful, painless experience, but I definitely felt empowered I was reading a lot of books like Ina Mae Gaskin's book um and really focusing on just the positive birth stories that I was hearing sure. rather than any negative ones especially towards the end um but the calm birth classes really helped me um I didn't feel I needed anything other than that um in terms of preparation mm-hmm. so but yes we were getting really excited and it was getting close to the 40 weeks and we thought this baby's coming Little did we know we're going to be going two weeks overdue because our little girl um, just did not want to come out. She likes she likes to just, you know, she was happy where she was. Yeah, she, yeah, but, she's so, so going into the birth, you've done the calm birthing yeah. class. What was your game plan? Did you have any specific props and tools? Like I've seen quite a few mums, you know, they have some beautiful affirmation cards mm. or, you know, you had your mother's blessing. Yes. Did you get your beaded necklace out or anything? Like what was it? What did you have going in? And I think maybe if you could dive into, you know, what was the toolkit going in versus you were there 
and what was the reality of the entire birth? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> and um, so I think I'll just mention that I basically I got to 41 plus five days of pregnancy when we we're having a scan. Um, and obviously you're monitored quite heavily when you go overdue. And they said, yep, the fluid level is looking quite low. So we're going to induce you tomorrow. Um, and, you know, we knew it was coming. But yeah. we were still like, what do you mean tomorrow? We're having a baby tomorrow. So we had, I suppose, in a way, like we knew that was a Saturday morning. We were going to be going in and we knew we were going to have a baby. So we weren't going to hospital in labor. We had time to prepare, prepare, um, and get ready. Um, so that, yeah, Friday afternoon, we went home and got everything ready. Um, I did some like gutter walking and a few of the old wives tales to try and get, you know, things going before having to be induced. And that didn't happen. So we, we were prepared in terms of we had a TENS machine okay. and that was my plan for pain relief. Um, and I heard good things and read good things about that um, as an option. Um, the only thing I didn't like about it is that I couldn't use it or and a bath at the same time. You can use it in the shower but not in a bath. And I like the idea of labouring in a bath. Um, so TENS machine for pain relief. And then I think in the program I was in, it was literally just the three of us in the room, so me, my partner Dave, and our midwife. Um, and where we were, it was a really comfortable setting. It wasn't a clinical birthing suite. It was like a beautiful big lounge room with a double bed and we could walk outside to the courtyard and have fresh air and like a bathroom. So it was a really calm space. Wow, so yeah. we had like the lights dark, which was a choice. Um, we had some nice music on a CD. I think I had the hypnobirthing CD. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that was a real game changer for me. Oh, um, okay. I used that. That really helped me go into myself yeah. when I went into labour. Um, my mum, um, who's a bit of a hippie, she bought me lots of like aromatherapy sprays, didn't use them at all. Oh, that was um, something that was in my kit. Yes. I, I was, I love a particular, um, like almost like facial spray and it was like rose and lavender. Mm. And I just thought this is such a calming kind of scent. That was in my kit. Needless to say, I never got there. I actually used it for post birth. Yeah. Oh, that's nice to chill out a bit because yeah. I was. You needed them too. <laughs> um, actually, just on that note, I remember buying a really beautiful toner um, from the beauty store, and she's like, "Buy this one. It's the most expensive, and it's the best. It smells amazing. When you're in hospital, you'll spray yourself the next day, and you'll just need that luxury." And I yeah. just bought it, and I've bought it again for this pregnancy, and it's oh, such a nice thing to yeah. use already. Um, so, yeah, so we packed up. I went into the hospital early and um, they broke my waters uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning and I started contracting. And we were like, great, that's all they're going to have to do. I think I was like three or four centimetres dilated by then and I just didn't have any contractions or any knowledge that was happening. So they very easily broke my waters. The contractions started for a couple of hours and then they slowed down. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to have to give you, give you the um, syntocin, um hormone, and that was at midday. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that was given, it literally went from like a zero to a hundred in terms of contractions. It just kicked in, um, which I have to say, I found like I personally did not want to be induced, yep. and it's something they only do like once every six months for a patient in the program I was in, and I knew it had to happen. Like this baby was not coming out. Um, but it was a pretty intense process, I would say. Yep. And it didn't, you know, that, that, that spontaneity of like, my water's broken, yeah. it's happening, all that gradual build up for your body to, you know, prepare f- with the contractions and, you know, release the endorphins and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, 
yeah, basically I was just using the TENS machine, you know, constantly throughout. I was able to still walk around. I was being monitored um, because it was an induction. Um, so two hours of contractions, which was, I thought, the most painful part <laughs> ever. And then I ended up having two hours of pushing after that, which really was incredibly agonizing. Um, I was surprised the need to need, like, to need to push so soon, um, after the induction process. And my mm-hmm. midwife was like, Oh, okay. If you think you need to push, push. And I was, it was really a very strong sensation. It was a very painful sensation because her head was down so low. It was that burning, pushing for like two hours, which is kind of the maximum I think that let you go. Um, and I was so, it was such a quick labor in the end with the induction and such an intense process that, with the TENS machine, you're actually supposed to change the way you use it between contractions and the pushing stages. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even have time to do that. It was just all happening so quickly, which didn't feel like it at the time, but it was. Um, and, and yeah, and then I basically through the pushing, um, obviously with two hours, it wasn't progressing very quickly. So I had to sit on a birthing stool, which my midwife's like, look, this is going to be quite painful, but it's really effective. And um, so I did, and it was, it really did heighten that pushing feeling, but it really helped to get her down. Um, what is a birthing stool for it's just those like, playing at home? <laughs> just like a little wooden stool that you sort of squat on the top of, and okay. it really helps to open up the pelvis and let the baby sort of move through the birthing canal in a, really, in a much easier way. Is there a hole in the middle? Yeah, there is. It sounds very like, uh, what's the word? medieval yes (laughs) i will say it was very effective i think i did three lots of pushing um surges on there and that's all i could handle it was it was the pain literally was so intense um i should also just say like the day before i was asking my midwife look i really want a natural drug-free labor that's a personal choice for me i wasn't expecting an induction Mm -hmm. will this you know can i do this and she said to me Yes, you can do it. She said, you need to go home and get yourself into the right headspace and know you can do it. And I still remember that conversation. I thought, okay, you know what? Induction births are typically meant to be more painful because they just happen very quickly. Um, and I really did have to get into the mental space of knowing my body, like these surges, um, like they couldn't be bigger than me because they are me. And I did have some positive affirmation cards that I read in the lead up to pregnancy. They're called Yes Mum. And I actually recommend them really highly because I found them to be very positive messages um, going in. So anyway, yeah, we did the the birthing stool and then it wasn't too much longer that um, our little girl, so we didn't know what we were having, which was really exciting, was born. Um, and I I didn't want to be laying on my back. I'd heard that was, um, well, all the evidence suggests that actually slows labour down and closes off the pelvis. So, you know, don't do what you see in the movies and on TV if you can. If you can. <gasps> that was also the different positions from the calm birth class. Um and yeah, and then she was born just after four o'clock. So it, um, it happened all very quickly and she came out and, um, she was really healthy. Her, um, her blood pressure and all of her monitoring was excellent throughout. Like she didn't have lowered heart rate or anything. She was really strong and healthy, which was great. Um, and yeah, I think it took me a moment to catch my breath, to mm-hmm. be honest. I think, 
the experience, um, I was almost in a bit of shock afterwards, which I wasn't expecting um, and didn't – I wouldn't have liked that to be part of my birth story. Like I understand why it was physiologically, but it wasn't that moment of straight away holding her and being like, ah, oh, like I think it took a couple of minutes for me to just – Come back. Yeah, I think process what had happened, yeah. get into the bed, take a deep breath. Like my body was literally just sort of all over the place. And then a few minutes later I had my beautiful first cuddles with her. And, um, yeah, it was lovely. It was, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, all that pain goes away like they say and you never believe them until <laughs> you do it. Um, but, yeah, and we were all healthy and well and we are so grateful um, for the experience and that it went so well. Mm. Um, yeah. And then we had our first breastfeed and that was really great. And she was able to find the breast and feed straight away. And all of her APGAR scores were really good. So that was great for us. And it was, it was a very surreal, beautiful moment. I'm just picturing it in my head. Um, I can't believe we're about to do it again. Um, would you do the medieval stool again? If it happens quicker, if it helps with that pushing stage to happen quicker, because that was really challenging, like two hours of that. I'm surprised I have any, you know, I still have bladder function, to be honest. It was really (laughs) intense. Oh, wow. Um, But It sounds like it was effective, though. It was, it was. But I have heard second-time births, often the pushing stage or the whole process of labour is a lot quicker. So, you know, I'll let you guys know, but hopefully the stool will not be needed um, but then what happened was when my placenta came out, my midwife was like, Oh, and I was like, yes. What does that mean? And she's like, oh. it's like reading the tea leaves. <laughs> ah, yes. Here we have. What did they find? So they actually found that I had undiagnosed vasa previa. And so that's when some of the Can I buy a vow? What is that? <laughs> so I think most people are more common with placenta previa. Yeah. Um, but vasa previa, it's still a relatively, well, not common condition, but it, it does happen. Um, it's where the blood supply for the baby grows. Um, part of it grows on the outside of the amniotic sac. Mm-hmm. So ideally, it's not always diagnosed by ultrasound, but when it is, women are typically put on bed rest from about, 34 weeks. Oh, wow. With a Caesar at 37, 38 weeks in case the, um, your water breaks early. Um, because obviously if your water breaks where the baby's blood supply is, the baby's blood supply can leave the body very quickly. So it's quite a dangerous situation. So in hindsight, I should never have had my water broken. Um, but of course, you know, we're fine. Everything worked out, but me and my placenta got shown around the whole birthing department at the hospital (laughs) because they're like, we haven't seen this. We've got to show all the midwives. And, um, I wanted to have a look as well. I remember looking because I, I think, I don't know what your feelings are, but that was the one thing that I missed out on Okay, because I had a Caesar and I think it was, it was on my mind to like ask, but like, as you say, like you're in the moment and you're just like, so much oh, you know, you're just so relieved that your baby's out and that <laughs> you hear that scream. Um, you know, my daughter came out, like they hadn't even pulled her out completely and she was already screaming. And I can assure you she hasn't stopped talking since. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, no, that was something that I – really wanted to see and I just yeah it didn't happen um but yeah I would have I would have been so I mean that's mm. the scientist in us right we're just 
so curious to see what that was all about. And also, like, to me, it would be like something else I can just chuck on my CV. Oh, yeah. Check out. Look what else I made. I made a human. I made, you know. A placenta. A placenta. You know, all of this stuff. So, yeah, that was one thing if I look back on, I would definitely have missed. I think, yeah, just being very pro, like, you know, the placenta is such an amazing organ, really, if you think about it and everything it undergoes. Um, So, yeah, so obviously we were super lucky that that was all fine in regards to that. Um, And what else? Oh, we requested delayed cord clamping, which was, again, a personal choice. And it was something they sort of do in the practice anyway. Yeah, I think that's become standard practice now. I think it's – I think so too. Yeah, I think the research from my understanding is it's just the, the guidelines have been changed. Like yeah. everyone's, on, everyone's on board now. Unless there's a medical complication where it can't sure. happen. Um, so that was really good. I'm trying to think of any other requests or, you know, things that we wanted to happen. But then, yeah, we just became a family of three and it was really beautiful. Um, you know, it's such a hard – feeling to explain that love yeah did you feel it instantly i was like maybe it was the drugs that i was on already but i was very out of body experience and i was like am i supposed to cry right now am i like i kept like like almost checking in with myself and like looking over at grayson as if to say what's supposed to happen right now because i'm i don't feel like i'm going according to textbook um so yeah what was it like for you i think everyone's so individual again like you know it's not like the movies that's you know all smoke and mirrors but i think like i said once that sort of shock feeling had worn off um it was it was that real instant i remember just holding her and i've got this photo which is our first photo together and i think you know, I obviously look exhausted, but I can just, I can see that, that love on my face and that, you know, first photo as a mum. Like yeah. it was just, it was really beautiful and we were just really grateful that she was here and she was happy and healthy. But I think, you know, I think sometimes people have a different experience and that's fine too. I think what it, you know, and especially like you said, being on drugs and having a different procedure, um, can alter that as well but you know as we know and i'm sure we'll talk about there's always time to catch up and get all that beautiful skin to skin and oxytocin connections going between mum and baby yeah um okay so your daughter's here what next because i don't know about you but i had done a ton of research on conceiving the pregnancy and to a degree you know birthing and things like that but I had no preparation for postpartum. Did you do as much research as you had for the pregnancy as you did for the postpartum period as well? I don't think I would say as much research, but I definitely did some. And I think that's the benefit of having kids a little bit after some of my friends is that you get that wisdom of, you know what, birth is actually the start line, not the finish line. Yeah, so what true. I think so many women, and it's so natural, and that's where the focus is. You focus on um, the pregnancy and eating well and doing all the right things there, and then you focus on doing your research on the, the birth and doing birthing classes, but there's no postpartum or postpartum classes. Um, it's not something that's even discussed. Um, 
which, <laughs> hello, is why we're here because it's so important. Yeah. So I'd been lucky enough to read a few different books, like The Fourth Trimester um, by Kimberly Johnson. I was also reading The First 40 Days, The Essential Art of Nourishing a New Mother. So I had an idea of what I wanted my postpartum experience to look like um, and that it was going to be you don't just have the baby and then bounce back and you feel great. Like yeah. it's the mother is still – recovering from pregnancy, recovering from whatever birth she had, adjusting to breastfeeding an infant, not getting any sleep, you know, becoming a mother. It's a huge transition that I just, you know, I think we don't really think is given enough um, attention, resources um, in Australia, the world, because it is so important. And I think it's, I think it's undervalued, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think as you touched on, it's a global picture as well. And it's not just community. It's, you know, if we look after our mothers, it's happy families, happy children, happy society, happy economy, really, because, you know, we treat mothers poorly because they're not back at work quick enough, yet we treat mothers who go back to work why aren't you home with your children so the the whole um the whole language and and just the culture of how we treat mothers needs to change oh i couldn't agree more and i think that's why we're doing what we're doing and and putting so much into the business and trying to spread this message um because it really does make a difference i think in every level it's not just for the mom it's for the mum and baby, the family, and I think it's got much broader implications too because, you know, mothers make so many decisions yeah. for the family outside the home and, and um, you know, they, get, they do make different choices about going back to work or not. But, um, but yeah, I was very lucky. Like I said, we'd moved home, so we had that village um, there, which was really great. So we had my mum and my mother-in-law, who is also a midwife. So, yes, I'm sorry, I hit the jackpot. Like, one, we get along really well, and two, she's a midwife, and she was um, an incredible resource if I needed her to, and she was wonderful with not overstepping. Um, so that was a really great thing to have, and they came up in the first few weeks and really – allowed me to rest because unfortunately my partner couldn't get any time off at that time, um, which is something we're going to do differently this time. That was definitely a big thing I'd like to change for this time and have mm-hmm. that time as a family bonding. Um, so there they were doing a lot of the cooking and the cleaning and mowing the baby so I could sleep, um, not, you know, all the time, but a lot of the time they were there and I had to ask them for help, which was a really challenging thing for me to do. I'm very resourceful. Uh, yeah. I'm not good at that. But um, in the end, of course, it was the right decision because, you know, our daughter was a beautiful baby but a shocking sleeper for the first 12 months of her life. So I think I truly believe that if I hadn't had such a restorative postpartum period, and, of course, it came with different challenges. It wasn't – I wasn't, you know – resting on a bed with someone fanning me and bringing me food all the time but I definitely had support there and if I needed to call people you know they could come and help me out and we kept things pretty simple in the house but I think without having that period to sort of recover um, and transition into motherhood I don't think I would have lasted that 12 months of sleep deprivation Mm. to be honest I really firmly believe that Um, and I've got again similar plans to want to have 
a really supported postpartum experience second time around as well. Um, so focusing on special foods, all those beautiful warming foods, staying warm as a whole, resting. So it's, you know, everyone's got different um, guidelines, but typically it's like five days in the bed, five days on the bed, five days around the bed. So I really took that to heart and it really resonated with me personally. So we had said no to visitors, um, which was really important to me. I don't think my partner understood as much, but, um, and we had some friends that were really, you know, they're just excited and they were keen and they said, can we please come over? And we said, no, not just yet. And they sort of, um, you know, they did end up coming over probably a little bit earlier before I was ready to have Mm -hmm. a baby, to have visitors and sort of have that, you know, be on show and be entertaining people. And it, and it was really challenging. I felt depleted. And I think through reading the books when I was pregnant about postpartum and they said, you don't have to do this. You don't have mm-hmm. to have people over the next day and be entertaining, showing off the baby, you know, getting them coffee and tea. Like you need to be resting. And for me, that was like permission to go, okay, this is what I need. This is not what society expects from me. I'm not going to be bouncing back into my skinny jeans. I'm not going to be going to the playground or back to work anytime soon. Like this is just what's right for me and my personal choices. Um, But that was a really big thing for me. So postpartum was big. And I think I would like to do it a little bit more this time. I don't know if that's possible with a toddler. Um, But it was definitely necessary, I think. Um, What was your favourite postpartum specific meal was there something that you were just like i have had no sleep i just need this this is going Mm. to really and it's probably like you know one day it would be different to the other but was there something where you're just like this is my go-to meal if i feel like crap i'm just gonna feel Mm. so much better it's gonna boost those oxytocin levels and hopefully get me through the day. Oh, I can't think of specific meal examples. I definitely remember enjoying any of the meals I didn't have to cook myself. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it definitely had a lot of stews and soups and that really warming food. But I think I was really just enjoying beautiful hot cups of tea. Yeah. Um, I was doing my sitz baths, like homemade sitz bath, um, which is what we now make for our clients. That was a really beautiful. I was doing that daily as a daily wow. ritual for the first two weeks. That was something I really enjoyed because it was time to myself just to like stop and breathe. Um, I love baths as well. Like obviously they're only quite shallow. Um, but that was like, a, it was almost like a bit of self love and self care yeah. for me. So that was definitely, um, a practice I enjoyed doing. And yeah, I think the cups of tea and just staying warm. And really being cocooned in at home and not not doing what I suppose most a lot of people feel they have to do. Some mm. people might want to do. You know, I'm very much an introvert. So for me, time alone and quiet time is how I recharge. Um, so And then also with our midwives, they come out to the house because we go home quite quickly. We had one night in the hospital and went home. They come out to visit and check up on you for the first two weeks, as much or as little as you'd like in that first two weeks at home which I found just absolutely incredible because, yeah. you know, a week in you have different questions than you do the day after you have a baby. So I found that resource really valuable. Um, and, yeah, it just – it was um, it was wonderful. You know, it was challenging as well. It's so many things. But those early postpartum days, I think, yeah, the rest and recovery um, – was so important it took a long time for me to get back out and exercise and walk and um 
Yeah. That sounds amazing. Thank you so <laughs> much for sharing that. That was really, yeah. Like I, we've been friends for a really long time, but I don't think we've gone into like such deep depths with all of the details of <laughs> the birth and everything. Did I go too deep? No, probably not. <laughs> I am so intrigued by this medieval stool though. Um, oh, don't be, it was hellish. Just for the final wrap-up, mm. what are your top three things that you would like to be different this time around, whether it be the birth or the postpartum? I think the first thing that comes to mind is I'd, I'd really like to avoid an induction or sort of any, you know, medical intervention pending obviously what happens with, um, you know, the health of myself and the baby and the rest of the pregnancy, but everything's going really well. We've been cleared for Vasa Previa this time. So I'd really love to have a spontaneous labour. Um, you know, last time when we got to almost 42 weeks, it was like, oh, we're still waiting, we're still waiting, like nothing's happening. Um, I'd love my water to break and be like, oh, this is happening now. Um, and I think, yeah, just having that natural, spontaneous labour and just to compare, I'm really interested. I don't know if I'm – Such a science nerd. I, I know. I have friends who are, like, terrified of birth and I'm like, oh, I'm so interested to see how the second experience is different to yep. the first. Um, and, of course, I think they're different anyway because, you know, it's not your first child. But um, I think having that spontaneous labour, um, I think also going into birth without – such a specific plan okay like I did first time around because you really then know anything can happen yeah and it's more just being open to that so I've got some things that I would like like you know to be the case I've got the option to labor in the bath or use the tens machine or whatever it is and I'm just going to see what works for me and what I need to get through um and if I end up needing to use something that I didn't want to use you know that's fine too I think it's really you've got to go with that um and then for postpartum, again, I really – I was saying to my partner, I'd love to not tell anyone for like a week when we've had the baby. I think it's a great idea. Well, he was like – he's just so ready to share the news. But I was like, I'm pushing the baby out. Like, I, I get Yeah, I'm calling say. the shots on this one, mate. And like, obviously, we'll tell our parents. But I'd love to not tell anyone for a week, a week and just have that time, the four of us becoming a family and just sort of resting without – you know, and obviously you get all the beautiful texts yeah. and calls, but just yeah. not to have to worry about any of that and replying. Um, I have heard – so the alternate of that is when you're still pregnant in those final weeks, people go and get like, you know, a burner phone oh. because <laughs> then no one can contact them yeah, except that. for the people that they've given their, yeah. you know, numbers to. Because the amount of messaging mm. all, like, come from a good place, let's be honest. But I felt, you know, this sense of just, like, this huge wave of anxiety. Are you still pregnant? It's, yes, I'm still pregnant. The child is not ready to come out. Like, there's 100%. nothing. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And then if you don't respond for, like, ages, people are like, oh, my God, you are in labour. You are. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just no. not responding to you, know. you know? I think it's so lovely that everyone's interested. Oh, I definitely. It's, yeah, it's lovely. But, yeah, I think I could have done without the, yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I think going overdue as well, you get those questions all the time. Um, but I think for this time, I think really in postpartum, you know, trying to get as much rest as possible 
with two, which will be challenging. I understand that, but also just fortifying myself with the foods and like the foods we've been cooking for our mums and seeing how much they enjoy it um, and how it fortifies and strengthens them. Um, so I'm going to be filling my freezer in the next few weeks and getting myself ready um, for postpartum. So it can be as, cause you know, I think it's just a really unique, precious time. That's how I yeah. view it. And I think we're the same. I'm not sure if this is our last child, but if it is, I, this is a sacred time. So just making the most of it, not rushing back to anything, um, not feeling guilty for not replying to messages, just really doing what I need to do and looking, I think taking some more time for me. Yeah. I think I jumped into caring for the baby and just doing so much of that the first time around. And I had the energy to do that. I was like, I don't even mind getting up at night and doing these feeds and changes all night. But like – Until you can't. Yeah, until right? you can't. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think trying to take some time for me, whether it's resting or whatever that's going to look like, whatever I feel like on the day. And I think just being a bit gentler with myself yeah. in terms of expectations. Um, it's more than three things. Um, that's okay. I don't think we're going to penalise you. Yeah. It's our podcast. But um, stay tuned. <laughs> I will let you know. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, um, Mika. Of course, my birth story will be next. Yay. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.